0: Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word as we take a look at the fourth commandment. And Lord, we also looked at it on Sunday, but I know, Holy Spirit, you have more for us to glean, and I pray that you'd minister to us and allow us to understand it in a greater capacity, especially in relation to Hebrews 3 and 4, and have a deeper understanding of this rest that you call us into. So bless us now, Lord, we pray according to your riches in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Exodus 20. Uh, let, let's, go, let's go through what we're learning here. What's this? One God. What's this? No idols. What's this? Don't take the Lord's name in vain. And the fourth? The Sabbath rest. All right, let's do it together. One God no idols, don't take his name in vain, and rest. You got four of the commandments down. You're doing really well. And if nothing is taught, nothing is learned, right? So you do it for me, and I'll just watch. No, I'm just kidding. All right, we'll pick up at um, verse 9, Exodus 20. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it, which means he sanctified it, set it apart as very special. Now, in Genesis 2, we see this this picture of the Sabbath, the seventh day. And what's interesting is the first six days of creation, beginning in Genesis 1, uh, it says there was morning and there was evening the first day. There was morning, there was evening the second day. There was morning, there was evening the third day. There was morning, there was evening, the, where am I, fifth day? Morning, evening, sixth day. And then on the seventh day, there's no morning and evening. The sun doesn't set on the seventh day. There's no The Sabbath rest is continual. And the Lord rested, meaning he ceased from working, not because he was tired, but to enjoy his creation and to have fellowship with Adam and Eve. Now, what you also find in creation is after each aspect of creation, what does it say? It says it's good, it's good, it's good. And then when he creates man, what does he say? Very good. The only thing that's not good in all of creation is what? That man should not be alone. And so he created for Adam a helpmate. Uh, and, and so you, you see this picture of the creation of Eve and, and taken out of man, so they're, they're complementary to each other. And whatever he took from Adam, he gave to Eve, and whatever Eve didn't get, Adam retained. And so together, they're like a whole person, I guess. I'm not sure. Uh, and, and I love um, Ken Graves. When he speaks of it, he said that, you know, God took out of Adam all the emotion and feeling. And so women, in a sense listen to me here, women in a sense suffer more than men do because you, you look at them physiologically and they're connected to the, even the way their brain operates, everything is connected to an emotion. And and I'll talk with my wife and it will go on this direction this direction because everything relates to something else because all the wires are connected. For men, we just have boxes, boxes. And we actually, I remember hearing a comedian, we do have a nothing box. What are you thinking? Nothing? We really are. I mean, there is nothing going on. Just bar, clear, you know, and, but we, we segment everything and, and we can, and we we don't, there's not that emotion that's connected and it's dispassionate in many aspects. Now it's a generalization. I mean, you're going to see differences in, in, in the sexes, but, but this is a commonality and and you see this complement between the two. And, and he said, be fruitful and multiply. And then after he did all this and he, he told him that you're, you're going to have dominion over the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And, and you're to keep watch over the garden, which means vigilance because there's an enemy lurking. Um, and, and we're going to see the fall as we study Genesis and time. But ultimately what happens is after he does all this and he creates the pinnacle of his creation, which is man, he rests to enjoy fellowship with Adam and Eve. He says, you're going to labor And then we're going to take a day and rest. Now, for those of you who are like strict Sabbath keepers and you believe the Sabbath is, you know, sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, and you have to observe it, and it's it's a day of rest, and that's the only day, and it's not the Lord's day. Sunday is a misrepresentation of the Sabbath day, and on and on. I go, okay, all right. But let's remember this, that if you're going to keep the Sabbath, you need to be working six days. So how many people have a six-day work week, you Sabbath keepers? Right? And if we're going to really observe the Sabbath, there's a myriad of issues related to that. And then when you look at the Mishnah and and, and and the extra biblical works of Scripture, you find 39 ways that you can break Sabbath. And for each of those 39 ways you can break Sabbath, there's 39 attached to each one of the 39. So it's what... 1,421 or 1,521 different ways you can break the Sabbath. And I'll go through some of those like I did on Sunday, uh, just some of the ridiculous aspects they came up with. And the reason why the Jews were so vehement about establishing all these laws on how you can break the Sabbath is because God had judged them and sent them into exile for 70 years, because every seventh year they were supposed to let the land be fallow and rest. And just as human beings need to, to come away so they don't come apart, we need a day of rest. We expend more oxygen than we, than we um, replenish in a night's sleep. And so we need a day of rest to catch up. And you see this, they didn't let the land rest. And so God just said, okay, I'm going to exile you out of the land. He exiled them for 70 years to make up for the 70 that they had violated the land. And so, when the Jews were brought back into the land, they're like, "We're not blowing this one again." And so, they lay out all these intricate laws and all these aspects. And then we see in Matthew twelve, Jesus' disciples eating grain from the the dried wheat, and they're running the the husk through their hands and getting the chaff away, and then eating the little kernel and getting a mouthful. And 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 the Pharisees are saying, "You're violating the Sabbath. You're violating the Sabbath. You're harvesting. You're 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 walking. You're eating. You're going through winnowing. I mean, we can go through a myriad of any one of these over." 1400 different ways to break the sabbath and we see that you've done that and jesus corrects them and points out the issue with david and the priests and on and on and on and he lays it out and he points out he says sabbath is for the man not man for the sabbath the sabbath is a reflection that you came out of bondage and we see this when he gives the same response to the 10 commandments in leviticus he says you came out of bondage and he lays that out he said, and, and you were you were machines to operate under the slavery of a master. And I've brought you out to enjoy the fullness of the land. And there's a greater rest that, that Joshua entered into, but Moses didn't. He said, that greater rest is my presence in your life. And you're now no longer slaves to sin and in bondage to Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You'll have no other gods before me. I will be for you everything. And that's his name. Uh, it's the Tetragrammaton, YWHW, which is his personal name. Some say it's Yahweh. Some say Jehovah. But it's always attached to a characteristic. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Tisdecanu, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Rapha. All of these attributes are attributed. And really, it's the same name that that when Moses saw the burning bush, he says, Who do I say has sent me? He says, I am. And and it's just, I am The self-existent one. I will be for you whatever you need when you need it. And that whatever you need will be attached as as one of my characteristics, my attributes to assist you and provide for you. I will be everything for you. I I will be your God and you shall be my people. And you'll no no longer be under slavery in Egypt. And he started to teach them and he actually taught them the Sabbath because we saw the Sabbath in Genesis chapter two, but he teaches them the Sabbath when they leave the land. Of Egypt, and do you remember what happened when the manna came? God said, "On the sixth day, what do you do? You you take two days' worth of food, so you don't have to go and gather it on the seventh day. I want you to have a day of rest and just enjoy it. What happens if you took more on another day? It would rot. I mean, this this manna is pretty creepy. It's, I mean, you know, on a, a day that you take a double portion, there would be worms in it. But on the sixth day, if you took a double portion, there would be enough for the seventh day." how did it know? It's like the guy who says the greatest invention in the world is a thermos. You go, why is that? You go, you put hot water in, and it stays hot. You put cold water in, it stays cold. And he goes, what's so spectacular about that? He goes, how does it know? <laughs> so threw that out there. Just thought you'd... So what does the Sabbath mean for us as believers today? Are we supposed to practice it on Saturday? Are we supposed to practice it on Sunday? Is it you know, the, the, the evening when we see the first three stars in the sky, that's when the Sabbath begins. And then when we see three stars in the sky, the Sabbath ends. Uh, what is this for Christians today? And so let's take a look, if you would, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Now, this was written for Jews so they'd have a greater understanding of Christ. We assume it was written by Paul, and we assume that he didn't put his name to it because he knew Jews wouldn't read it if Paul's name was on it. But scholars believe it was him. But the author is obviously anonymous. We're going to pick up at verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works forty years Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest. They shall not enter my rest. Isn't that interesting? Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through your deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning uh, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, while it is said <clears throat> today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. for who, having heard, rebelled indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Now, with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not those who sinned, those whose corpses fell or yeah corpses fell in the wilderness, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Okay, so practicing the Sabbath isn't going to save you. The Sabbath has a deeper meaning than your salvation. Observing the law doesn't save you. And here we see these folks in unbelief that belief is going to manifest itself in action. If God says it and you obey it, that is faith. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. The way you believe it is you do it. Pretty simple. I've showed you the illustration a thousand times. I believe the chair will hold me, but until I'm sitting in it, I don't trust it. I can have intellectual belief, but until I put my butt in that chair, I'm not trusting it. And you put your your, your life in God's hands and trust him by obeying what he tells you to do, putting yourself in his care. Now let's go to chapter four. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. "'For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, "'but the word which they heard did not profit them, "'not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. "'For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said, "'So I swore in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest, "'although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, "'for he has spoken in a certain place on the seventh day in this way, "'and God rested on the seventh day from all of his work, "'and again in this place they shall not enter my rest.'" what the author is saying is God already pointed out that they're supposed to rest. I've already taken care of creation. They rest in me. They trust in me. Now we know that Adam and Eve fell. They disobeyed God. They didn't trust him. They trusted the voice of the enemy of our souls and the one who seeks to come to steal, kill, and destroy. He's the author of lies and that's Satan himself. And, and they didn't trust him. And so they enter into this and there's a struggle. And he says, that, that God pointed this out back in Genesis, and he says again, they shall not enter my rest because it's disobedience again. What is it? They kept grumbling and complaining and moaning, and finally, everyone in that wilderness for 40 years died and never entered the promised land. It was the next generation that Joshua led in. Moses didn't even get to enter into the promised land. He got to see it from a distance, and then in, in the transfiguration, on the Mount of Transfiguration, obviously he's in the promised land as he's there with Elijah and Jesus, and Peter says, let's build three buildings, right? So God is gracious, and he, he didn't, you know, condemn Moses from entering into his presence or having that rest. He just, in in that lifetime, he said, you know, this is an example. You struck the rock when I told you to speak to it, and there was a number of things that kept him out, but this is the picture. Let's pick up at verse 6. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, Saying in David today after such a long time as it has been said today if you will hear his voice do not harden your hearts for if Joshua had given them rest then he would not afterward have spoken of another day there remains therefore a rest for the people of God for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his what is the author saying he's saying that that Joshua never entered that rest David spoke of that there's obviously another aspect of rest that God is referring to And he's saying, what is this that, you know, here God ceased from his works. What is he telling us as believers? Let's look further. Verse 11, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to his eyes of whom... We must give account, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of what? All right, what does Ephesians say? You've been saved by, through, not of, lest any man should. Now we're getting somewhere. Well, we'll get there. Let's keep going. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So what is this rest the Lord's speaking of for the believer, for the Christian? The Apostle Paul said, I, meaning Paul, and if we read it, we put our name in there. I, meaning ego, my self-preservation, I, have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. What do they put over a tombstone, the three letters? R.I.P. There's no rest like the rest of the grave. Have you ever seen my impersonation of Elvis? It's the best you've ever seen. Check this out. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) That's a little crass. I just thought it was funny. So, where were we? (laughs) Rest in peace. I die, Christ lives. Now, why do we labor and why do we get anxious? Why do we get worried? Why do we get stressed? Why do we get burdened? We're not resting. Resting in what? When you're worried, what are you worried about? Do the birds of the air worry? Do they toil and spin to make those flowers? But how much more will your heavenly Father clothe you, provide for you? And yet, how often do we worry? What is worry? Worry is the absence of faith. I just, in, in your own mind, without saying it out loud, I just want you to take five things that are on your mind right now that you've been carrying today. I've already got them. And I am exhausted by carrying these things. I've been, I've been ruminating over them, struggling over them. And, and, and it brings you into a place of anxiety. And it, and it brings you into a place of kind of fear, tension. And with the, the greater the burden, the more you snap at people and you're short with them. Anybody have that problem or is it just me? And, and, and the Lord says, come to me, all you are burdened and heavy laden. Oh, you are weary, and I'll give you rest. Remember that idea of yoking? You you attach yourself to the Lord, and He's the stronger of the animals, and He takes you even though you fall or want to go off in a dream, just keeps walking you. And I'll tell you what would be even easier is if we just quit fighting. We just let Him take us. And how does He take us? Well, the Word of God is living and breathing and sharpen the two-edged sword, able to divide the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Why are you doing what you're doing? What is the intention? What is your thought? God, read, all things are laid bare before his eyes. He knows your intentions. He knows your thoughts from afar off. Let there not be any anxious thought. As David said, I don't concern myself with matters too profound for me, but I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child. And the idea is, I cast your cares on him for he cares for you. And all the stuff you're carrying, you weren't intended to carry. And if you add to that, that you think your salvation comes by observation of the law, there's no rest for you. You'll add 39 points to that and add to each one of those points another 39 points, and you'll be exhausted. And if you have to work for your salvation to try to earn God's favor by what you do, you'll never obtain it. There's nothing you can, ad- can do to obtain God's favor. Nothing. Nothing except receive the righteousness of his son imputed and put on your account by what faith and you're saved by through not of do you see that who does the work what did what was his final words on the cross i tell you what that's a good day to rest god rested from his creation, on the seventh day, and what did Jesus say after the creation? You're a new creature in Christ. What did He say after He beat sin and death upon the cross? What did He say? It is finished. It's actually one word in the Greek: "tetelestai." It means paid in full. It's yours now. I've purchased you with my blood. You're mine. I will put my spirit in you and give you the strength to observe my law. My my commandments aren't burdensome because it'll be out of a heart of gratitude, not obligation, but adoration. And the more you worship me, the more rest you find. And if you come away with me, God says, you won't come apart. If you come away with me, you won't come apart. The rest of creation, uh, Genesis, I want to read it to you. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. And God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Um, and the Israelites needed this reminder. They had lived in Egypt as slaves, as I commented before earlier. And they were treated as production machines. And God wanted them to see their humanity. And the beauty of coming away with the Lord and and reconnecting is this download process of seeing who you are. The world tells you who who they they say you are. You're a cosmic accident. You're a primordial soup. You've you've evolved from apes. Uh, you are you whatever it is, and then you just come into the quietness of what? Where do you find his, the greatest rest? In His presence, and and where would that be found? In the beginning was the, and the was with and the, became flesh, and you spend time in his word, and it realigns you. What is his word? It's living and breathing and sharpening two-edged sword, able to divide the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It realigns you. You spend time with him, and you rest. And his word says, be anxious in nothing. So what do you do? Do you obey it or you disobey it? In disobeying it, is a rest? No. You're carrying something you were never intended to carry. Jesus said, I will meet your needs and the riches of Christ exceedingly abundantly beyond anything you could ask or imagine. Why are you worrying about what you will wear, what you will eat? And, and has it added any days to your life, any hairs to your head? Has it done any good for you or your family, all your anxiety and your worry and your fear and your trepidation? Has it done anybody any good? It's his word that aligns us. That's where we find rest in the presence of him. The Sabbath is also a sign of liberation by God. When you, when you come away with the Lord and spend time with him, he reminds you of who you once were and who you are now. It's amazing that as you read his word, you're a new creature in Christ, the oldest past, the new has come. I love you with an everlasting love. I have every hair in your head, number, every tear you've ever cried, I have in a bottle. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, to give you hope in a future. And you read these things and all of a sudden you realize who you are in the sight of God. But if you step away from that and enter into the din of the world and the lies of the enemy, who are you? You are subservient. You're a slave. You'll shut up and do as you're told and like it. You're an idiot to believe that the world was created. You are an absolute moron. If you don't buy into, you know, evolution, you're an absolute moron. If... If you you believe in a a 24-hour day and and, and a seven-day creation period, there's, I mean, and all of a sudden you lose direction and meaning and purpose. And then my question is, in the absence of God, in the absence of His Word aligning you, what hope does that bring to humanity? In the vast emptiness of of the universe, who are you? But when you align with God, you realize I've been created in His image. I've been fearfully and wonderfully made, knitted together in my mother's womb, created in, in God. He, he had good works prepared beforehand that I would walk in those. This poetry, this poema, which is metaphysical, And here you you have evolution where everything is just physical. There's no metaphysical. You can't explain intelligence. You can't explain design. You can't explain love. You can't explain emotion. You can't explain any of those. And they say, well, we're just a cosmic accident. It's only matter. And then you go, okay, well, what about the DNA structure? And and, and you look at a piece of paper that has writing on it. This is a physical aspect, but what's occurred is a metaphysical mindset that has put thoughts and intents down on a piece of paper that's simply ink, but in the orchestrating of it through the intellect which is metaphysical all of a sudden there's a thought that's transmitted by my speaking that enters into your mind and your heart and transforms you that's the living breathing word of God evolution can't can't explain that you say well I I believe in you know uh, evolution but I'm still a Christian I believe in the gap theory well why would God say there was morning and there was evening that day And why would he say it's very good? And if you add evolution, and evolutionists, including Darwin at the end of his book, where he says that that the superiority of the races comes about by chaos and disease and misery, did that exist in the Garden of Eden? No. Why would God allow death and destruction and virus and disease and, and the survival of the fittest and call that good? I don't know that you can blend both of those and hold to the faith. I think there's a direct contradiction. And you say, well, I mean, you, you, look at, you look at all the fossilization and all the other things, great, but where are the transitional creatures that went from a bird to a reptile? We haven't found one. Well, those are the missing links. There are way too many missing links. Matter of fact, I don't think there are any links. Hot links. And a little mustard, and we got something. Sorry, it just came to me. I love hot dogs. <laughs> and and here, here's the other aspect of it you, you look at a, a um you look at this this period and, and you, you say that that evolution occurs yet there's 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 too many missing links in the evolutionary process and they say that we've evolved from chaos to order which is contrary to the second law of thermodynamics. And why would a wheel be described, and, and, and why would some of these creatures? I mean, you look at the smallest cell, and, and it has a wheel that's a, a vacuole that, that pumps. And, and, and you look, at it's so intricate, even it's a design, it screams of a creator, screams of a designer. And the DNA is information, it's metaphysical. It is on all of those cells that, that put forward who we are with the sperm and the egg and the zygotes created right there, we already know who you are simply by your DNA that the, the information has been downloaded by a creator and you remove that. Why? And what does that bring? Is it rest for the human heart? What is the result? Survival of the fittest. I have to be worried then who's going to want to eat me. Who's coming to kill me. And, and where do we get laws and order and all these other things What a chaotic world, and yet God comes in and says, reestablish according to my word, and as you, the Lord says, he will keep thee in perfect peace whose mind is steadfast on thee. That's rest. Who am I? Why am I here? What does God want me to do? What is my purpose in life? It makes sense, doesn't it? And and instead of buying into what the world says, let's come back and say, okay. And, And here's the other one. You have to, you know, the world would say you have to be an idiot to believe in a 24-hour creation period. I, I would say that doesn't open up a real great conversation with people if you begin with that. It, it and, and you'll come to a place where they're going to think you're some, you know, flat earth person. But my thought is, when you're getting ready to paint a picture or write an essay... Or put together a sermon, or compose a letter to a friend, or you're gonna build a structure in your backyard. What do you do first? You picture it, you create it where? In this area that we don't know how to describe, which is the intellect, the mind, the order, the structure, the design. And as we, we contemplate it and we put it together, then we put it on paper. And then we build it, right? Where did God get creation from? He went from an eternal concept and then put it into time. And he created a 24-hour period. Morning, evening, first day. Morning, evening, second day. According to their kind. According to their kind. So we see birds. We have adaptation, but we don't have evolution yeah the, the 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 moth that rests on the dark oak tree because the soot from the factories makes it stand out, and so the birds come and eat the white moss, and the only ones that survive are the ones with the darker wings, and so they, they camouflage better on the sooted trees, and so they they adapt and survive, but they don't turn into birds. They're still moths, but they're darker, right? Okay, I just thought that would be helpful. Sickle cell anemia. For many, it's painful and overwhelming, but in Africa, it's it's one of those things that helps you overcome malaria. Out of context, things tend to be strange, but you look at the creation, it's fascinating, and God contemplated eternity, put it into time. And he says to us, "Where to work. What is work? Work is worship. Work is worship. We're doing what he called us to do, and we're being obedient. We're saying, God, I want to do this, and I want to create as you created, and then you give me the opportunity to enjoy what I've done, which is fascinating because when you work, you enjoy your rest and you get to enjoy what it is God's blessed you with. And you look at the commandments as we're going through the, 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 the top commandments, that's our relationship with the Lord. And then our relationship with each other. And then the Levitical laws come and That's all protection of private property because as you honor the Lord, you're going to be blessed. And the principles apply. The principles apply. You, you honor God's law. There's a blessing that comes with it. And, and I'll give you an example. Uh, folks, I, I was talking to a bank manager. I think I told you this. I was talking to a bank manager. I asked him, you know, you see all the accounts of everybody. You yeah, don't, know, don't disclose anything or, you know, put your job in jeopardy. But who are the richest people in the area? He goes, ah, it's easy to tell you. I go, who? He goes, Oh, I won't be violating anything, but I'll just tell you it's some Mormons. I go, really? He goes, Yeah, they're faithful. They save, they tithe. I mean, the way they manage their money, they have no debt. It's fascinating. And their bank accounts are enormous. And I I look at the body of Christ, and God sets aside this. Well, tithing's not in the law. Well, yeah, grace is greater than the law. So if you don't want to observe the law, you can observe grace and give more than 10%. But 10% is a great place to start. And what happens? It aligns you with understanding money isn't your God. God is your God you're faithfully putting that forward to say, God, I trust you for the remaining 90 and your blessing upon my life and Mormons whose Christology doesn't allow them to understand who Christ is according to evangelical understanding of Christ. And what I believe is clearly pointed out in scripture that he is God and he's the only God and there isn't many gods. And as God is man will become, or as man is God once was, that's the Mormon idea. That's not evangelical um, Orthodox Christianity. So they've got they've got their Christology way off, but they apply their sanctification by observing and honoring the law of God as they read it, they apply it, and they do it, and the blessing comes, even though they don't know Christ in in the fullest form of justification. And here, the body of Christ, the orthodoxy, taught in Scripture, what we just read in Hebrews 3 and 4, of this idea of this rest, that, that, that Jesus is our rest. And on the cross, he said, it is finished. And he, he purchased your salvation by his blood shed upon the cross. He moves the bullseye and makes you righteous, imputes his righteousness to you. And the response is, well, I, I don't want to set a day aside for you, and I certainly don't want to tithe. And, and, and the blessing is in ours. We've got our get out of hell free card. We can, I, I get out of hell free. But the rest and the blessing, we're, we're, if we're being put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict, convict us of such? And we observe where we spend our money and where, how we do our time, and is God really the one we get alone with and spend time in His Word and recharge and spend it in His presence? In uh, Deuteronomy 5, uh, verses 12 through 15, the Ten Commandments were repeated again but this was added it says remember that you were slaves in egypt and that the lord your god brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and he he, he said he provide manna for them and he and he did that entire process for them but the sabbath simply means an intermission or a break god is saying i want you to rest I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to take care of all these things. It demonstrated his mercy and it demonstrated his deliverance. That's what you do on a, on a day of rest. You just, you think on these things. You meditate on the Lord. A faithful Sabbath of observance will also lead us into the rest of regeneration. Uh, in Leviticus 25, we learn that God created the world in such a way that it even needs rest. And that's where we see that every seven year, seventh year that God says the earth must rest. And the Jews held to this. And then when they violated it, God sent them into into, um, exile. I was going to say bondage, but exile. But the Jews were intentional about resting their land. And think about that. I mean, do you give your employees time off? Do you let them rest? You know, do do you, do you look at these things and say, God, it applies today as it applied then? Everybody needs rest. Everybody needs to regenerate. Um, I think our body, you know, it's very clear our bodies and our souls need rest. It's, it's imperative. I love this story. Um, and, and this was Dr. Hagler. He did some research and he announced that, that the oxygen that was expended by the human body in a day of toil um, could not be recovered in a night of rest, that the Sabbath was absolutely necessary for us to recover physically. And it's interesting. Here's, here's a story uh, that comes out of the wagon trains that went from St. Louis to Oregon. Uh, they observed they observed the uh, th- this group of of um, pioneers observed the Sabbath day by stopping to rest and not traveling. But as winter approached, some in the group began to panic that they would not reach Oregon before the snow fell. So they proposed to start traveling on the Sabbath days as well. The group was split over the idea, so they split into two traveling groups. One would travel all seven days and one only six days. And the group which rested arrived in Oregon first. The people and the horses were so rested that they could travel much more efficiently on the other six days. And the Sabbath was obviously made for man, not man for the Sabbath. We don't serve the Sabbath. The Sabbath serves us. So if you become militant about it and and you require that, you know, you have to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this, you're missing the whole point. You don't have to do anything. You get to. It's a joy. Um, Oh, John Calvin wrote this. He said, It is utterly necessary for us to rest in order that God works in us. Have you ever been so busy you don't have time to listen? What does the Lord say? Be still and know that I am God. Rest in the Lord. God doesn't want us to break down or to wear out. He continually invites us to stop. As I said earlier from the psalm, be still and know that I am God. There's a rest of reconciliation, uh, and and that's that's perfectly pictured on the cross when Jesus reconciled the world to himself when he said to tell us, diet is finished. There's something special about taking a day and reconciling with people. There's something special about a day that you take aside to go do acts of mercy as Jesus did with a man on the withered hand on the Sabbath day and go visit shut-ins just to be used of the Lord. And we, we find ourselves resting in the finished work of Christ. Think about what we do as people. We spend money we don't have to impress people we don't know and buy things we don't need with money that we don't have, Right? we're exhausted and we're always worried about our appearance and we're always worried about what people think of us we're and we find ourselves enslaved or embittered or tense or upset and yet you know think about this identity crisis mankind has you look into a mirror a young girl looks into a mirror and wonders if she's pretty and yet all the magazines say she doesn't have what it takes Unless you have this makeup or wear this or that, you're not beautiful. And there's something powerful about being with the Lord where you hear his voice in the, in the cacophony of noise that wants to, to possess you and make you an, an image or a thing or a commodity. And God says, you're my daughter. There's nothing more powerful than a father's voice to a child. I'm proud of you. You're beautiful. You're handsome. I love you. There's nothing more powerful than that. And that's an earthly father who is fallible. But how about an eternal God whose voice created the heavens and the earth, who speaks to you in the stillness of your heart, and you start to see your identity in his words, and they start to mean more to you than anything the world can say. And when you start to question because of your failure, am I saved? And God's word says, he who's been placed in the Father's hand, no man can remove. How about when you've, you've blown it so bad that you don't think God wants anything to do with you? And Romans 8.28 says, there's, now, for there, there's that now therefore no condemnation. Oh, no, that's Romans 8.1. There's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I got to tell you, that's pretty sweet. And when you remind God, but how could you love me? I did this, this, and this, and God casts our sins as far as east from the west to be remembered no more. And you utter those things, and God says, "What are you talking about?" I choose not to remember any of that. Matter of fact, I even told Paul to tell you to put all things behind, forget it. What's behind? Strive for what ahead. Today's a new day. You're a new creature in Christ. The old is past, the new has come. I don't know about you, but that's pretty comforting. And and in his economy, all things work together for good with those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Even your failure. Psalm 23 says, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. It's the coachman. You, You just got this mess behind you that you've created. And you go, God, I really screwed it up. Look. And you point behind you and there's goodness and mercy just sweeping it up. God goes, what are you talking about? And they're like, got it, boss. I think that's pretty special. Anybody? Is that just me? You enter into this rest of eternal life, knowing who you are in Christ. There's something st- strengthening about realizing who you are in the Lord. There's something that allows us to just release and trust Him. Um, in in, uh, in uh, Hebrews 4, where it says, Today, if you will hear His voice, the appeal is out of Psalm 95. It proves that there is a rest remaining for God's people to enter beyond the fulfillment under Joshua. If Joshua completely fulfilled the promise of rest, God's appeal through David today, saying it would make no sense. He's speaking of a rest that's in Christ when Christ said it is finished. Your eternal destination has been established. Your righteousness has been his righteousness has been put on your account. You don't have to earn it, you don't have to fight for it. You got it. And when you realize that, and where does that rest come from? His living word that's sharper than a two-edged sword, able to divide the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And the more time you spend, the more rest that comes upon your soul. There's just something comforting about that. Rest for all of God's people. It's a spiritual pattern. And the rest is in a person, not a day. The rest is in Jesus. He did it. He completed it. He also says that those who preach this rest must possess it themselves. <laughs> I'm qualified at this moment. For there are days I'm not. And rest means not to continue on in works, but in faith. Uh, Verse 10: For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his. He who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works, which just simply means you don't work to be saved. You do things because you are saved. And when you're doing things out of joy, it's not work, is it? Right? You, 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 you work. What is it? Um, Winston Churchill said, you make a living out of what you do. You make a life out of what you give. So you go to work every day. Right? Right? You're like, huh? And you go, huh? Let's enjoy this, honey. Let's just sit down. We got. I got to do the bank account. I got to. No, no, just put it to rest. Why do we have to do that? Because if we don't balance the books, and why don't we spend time with the Lord? And we'll seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto us. But but if we don't if we don't go like my wife and I are looking for houses, if we don't go and visit all the houses, and we don't and if we don't act quick, someone else is going to. We didn't even know that house existed a month ago. And there are thousands of houses in the area. I'm sure he's got one. Calm down, calm down. We don't have to be anxious that somebody's going to take that and we're not going to get it. Rest, Lord you got a place for us. And you start to pray together, and the anxiety ceases, and the joy returns, and it's awfully pleasant. And God extends this invitation in verse 11 of chapter 4. He says, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. And the Scripture says, be diligent to enter that rest. You have to enter that rest. The Bible says David strengthened himself in the Lord. You have... You want rest? Pick up your Bible. You'll listen to everybody else but the Lord. And he wants to give you rest. And when you read his word, you get rest. You get comfort. You get blessing. You get encouragement. You get identity. You get reassured of your salvation and encouraged in everything in life. You have a peace that passes all understanding, guarding your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. But you've got to be diligent. Study to show yourself approved unto God. Pick it up, read it. This is that idea that that faith is not passive. Remember the chair? Open the book, sit in the chair. Trust the Lord with his word. Don't just read it, do it. And be diligent to enter that rest. Otherwise we fall prey. It's 810. I shared a little bit about this on Sunday and I want to revisit it in relation to the fourth commandment. And I'd share with you a story. Anyone ever see the movie Chariots of Fire with Eric Little? It's a long one. And at the end of the movie, it's kinda, it, it kind of frustrates me because at the end of the movie, you're like, well... Was he right? Was he wrong? I mean, should you observe the Sabbath? I mean, he made everyone's life difficult because he wouldn't run the race he wanted to run. Now, granted, he won the 400 meter, but I mean, he could have run the 100 and broke the record. And it really is it is it a day you're supposed to rest? I mean, the theologians some say that you should take an entire day. He was like adamant about it. He put the entire Olympic team on hold, and I mean, this is kind of odd. And I'm not sure it really what you know. And that's the end of the movie. I'll share with you a synopsis of the story. Uh, the 1924 Olympics. They were held in Paris. Eric Little was there to run the track's premier event for Scotland, the 100 meters. He was expected to take the gold. He arrived in Paris only to discover that the qualifying heats for the 100 fell on Sunday and Little couldn't run. He made a commitment many years before to honor the Lord's Day by devoting it to worship. So what do you think that means for Eric Little? This is is a day that my family has decided is very significant in the life of what we do. We set the Lord's Day aside. This has been precious to our family, and nothing's ever broken, this commitment we have to just come away with God so we don't come apart as a family. And we've, we've done due diligence to make this day special. This is the day we've picked. As a family, we committed to it. I just don't want anything creeping in, even even visions of grandeur or an Olympic record or a gold medal. I, I'm not interested. This day is way too precious to me to give it up for this. I'm not going to compromise. If I compromise, I got children. I got grandchildren. I've got my family. They're going to look at it and just think, you know, there, I guess there are some things you can do. And And I think, you know, who am I to judge another man's servant? Some people say, you can't watch football on a Sunday. I wouldn't be married if we didn't watch football. My wife loves football on a Sunday. I'll watch it, but I, you know, hey, that's a good game. I'm gonna go take a nap. I worship at bedside Baptist (laughs) with Pastor Pillow, and 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 this is this is relaxing to her. She enjoys that, and it's fun to sit with her. I love seeing her like, oh, go, go, you know. It's really it's it's a joy. That that is what we do as a family. I don't know what your traditions are or, or, or what brings you rest. But the idea is, is to take a sabbatical. Come away. Don't do stuff you do on the other six days. Don't catch up on work. Don't do laundry. Don't do chores. Don't do, just, it's a day to just unwind. But not just unwind. Put the Lord in the center of it. Focus on him and focus on each other. Focus on him, focus on each other. One more time, focus on him, focus on each other. And as you rest in the Lord, this is, this is what was precious to Eric Little. Judge him all you want. Come to the conclusion. Be bitter like the uh, the organizers of the event and the Olympic committee that, that represented England and just come down heavy and watch as he's making this stand. And Little was the, the son of missionary parents. They understood how important it was to come away. Otherwise, they'd come apart. He'd been born in China in 1902. In the last uh, year of college at Edinburgh University, he was preparing to return to China as a missionary himself. But his skill as a runner brought him to the Olympics, where everyone knew he was a shoe in to take the 100. The Scottish Olympic team administrators and his teammates tried to reason with him, but little was determined and cheerfully told them he would not be dissuaded. It's just not going to happen. Watch the movie. The guy who plays it does an outstanding job. He just says it's not going to happen. And he was testifying to a Jewish guy, um, the other guy who ran the 100. Don't remember his name. Finally, someone hit on the idea of seeing if Little would run the 400 meters instead, a race he had not trained for. Little agreed and ended up taking the gold medal in the 400 meter. And this is the whole synopsis of the movie Chariots of Fire. But what the movie doesn't tell you is this. Little returned to China, where he was instrumental in leading thousands to Christ. He was imprisoned by the Japanese and ended up dying in an internment camp in 1945. He died as he had lived, a man whose chief aim was to honor the Lord and all that he did. And you know what he's remembered for most in life? Is that he kept the Sabbath. Not out of legalism, but out of joy. The Lord is most important, more important than running, more important than anything else. And I want the world to know that. And they did. And it was a spectacular picture, and it was actually honored in England at the time. People were touched by it. One in particular uh, was o- Oswald's uh, Oswald Chambers, My Utmost Highest. He was moved by Eric Little. And Biddy Chambers, who put the whole book together. Uh, Oswald Chambers died in Egypt, and um, his widow is the one who compiled all of his writings. And then they all got burned, and she compiled them all again. And it's one of the best-selling books in history, My Utmost Highest. For Christians, uh, this is what we'll apply at the conclusion of our time together. As Christians, with each of the commandments, we're more interested in the principle behind it than in the crass observation of wooden and literalistic interpretations of it. We've gone through each of these. I want us to see the simplistic application for our own lives where we apply it by grace and we see it for what God intended. There's no no law that received more attention than the fourth commandment by the Pharisees. I mean, this is one where they nitpicked it. And as I told you earlier, I was going to share with you some of them. It was their zealous pursuit of obedience. And they they asked the question, what constitutes work? Because the scripture says you should do no work. And uh, they didn't want to worry about breaking it because they'd been in exile for so long. And they did 39 categories, as I said before. And of each of those 39 categories, they had 39 listings of each of the 39 categories. And one uh, category dealt with carrying burdens. The rabbi said that anything heavier than a dried fig was constituted a burden, and you couldn't carry anything heavier than a dried fig. I don't know where they came up with a dried fig. I wouldn't even have dried figs in my house. Maybe when I get older, I'll leave that alone. Um, You could carry a half a dried fig, but if you put put it down, you couldn't pick it up because that would constitute twice the weight, and then it's a dried fig. You could not pick it up again because it would constitute a whole fig. And then here's another one. If you were putting fruit away when the f- Sabbath began, you had to drop the fruit because taking from one place to another was it carrying a burden. You could pick up a child, but only after inspecting his or her hands to make sure they had nothing in them. If the Sabbath began and you were wearing your false teeth, that was okay because they were considered a part of you. But you could not put your false teeth in on the Sabbath because that would be lifting a tool that was a no-no. no no Another category governed travel. You were only allowed to go 200 cubits, which was about 1,000 yards or 3,000 feet. People often needed to travel much farther in order to be able to make it to the synagogue or some other place on the Sabbath, so the rabbis came up with this device to get around the traveling restrictions. Movement inside your home didn't count as travel, only outside your door, and a home was technically any part of your house, so the Jews began putting a rope at the end of their streets, effectively attaching the two sides of it and making every house on the street technically the same home. And they still do this in New York and Miami and even parts of L.A. Your journey didn't begin until you passed the rope and ended when you got to the next such street. Uh, You could dip a radish in salt but not leave it there because that would be considered pickling and you couldn't do that on the Sabbath. You could spit but only into a handkerchief or on a solid rock. If it hit the dirt, that was considered making mud. Uh, righteousness defined by spitting. You can spit on a rock. That's righteous. You can spit in a handkerchief. <laughs> but if you spit in the dirt and it rolls and there's mud, you're done. Hell for you. You're like, oh, where, where do I spit? I need to spit. There's no rocks. I don't have a handkerchief. Where do I spit? Swallow it. No. Now you got to swallow that. Really? really? Okay, where do I vomit? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's see how do we apply it as Christians in the next 12 minutes I'm going to refresh what we did on Sunday because I think we need to do that on our day where we set aside a day to be with the Lord and be with each other I want to tell you right now you need a day I don't care if it's Wednesday I don't care if it's Sunday or Saturday you need a day pick a day and don't do on that day what you do on the other six days. Do things that regenerate. Maybe you sit at a desk all day six days a week. On the seventh day, go for a walk. Go outside. Go for a hike. Take the dog for a walk. What do you, what regenerates you? Read a book that you don't get time to do. Obviously, spend time in the Word. And on the day where you you come to spend time with the Lord and with his people, the reason why it begins at sundown and ends at sundown is because at sundown, you can start preparing for sunup. Set your clothes out. Prepare for service. Plan what you're going to do for breakfast so that Sunday morning isn't chaotic. Everything's out. Do paper plates so you can chuck them. Just give everybody a toothpick and just eat meatballs or something. I don't know. Make it simple. Do the meal in advance and put it out for everybody. You know, I would encourage you, don't go buying stuff because it makes somebody else work on that day. I think what it would do for our culture, and, and I, Ted was commenting, if NASCAR did their races on Saturday instead of Sunday, what, what it would do for the country. I mean, just go to church and spend time. If they did football on Saturday instead of Sunday, my whole life would change. So where were we? <laughs> set your clothes out. Set the kids' clothes out. Do that all on the sundown. Prepare for it. Hey? It's Saturday sundown. We got work to do. We're, we're going to make Sunday special. Be proactive and purposeful. Let, let everyone know this is going to be a special day. We're getting ready. Pray over things. What are some of the stuff that you're struggling with? Pray as a family before you go to church. Get everybody's mind set on coming in. Come to church on time. Participate in the service. Leave home in plenty of time to get here. Because listen, if somebody prepares a dinner for you and they say, come at 7, is it polite to come at 7.30? Hello? Yeah, they're waiting. And and, and they've timed it. And now the meat's going to be overcooked, and they're wondering where you are. And now granted you're late, and, you got, you, you, and you're calling and trying to let them know. That's understandable. Everybody's late now and then. But if it's habitual, that's just, that's just not thoughtful. You didn't take time to think about what your life's a little busy. You need some brochures on Montana to get away for a little bit. You're booked too tight. What time does church start on Sunday. Nine and and six, seven. So what time should we arrive if we're coming to the nine o'clock service? Early's on time, on time's late, and late is just unacceptable. (laughs) And come in, and come in expectant, and come in joyful, You've already prepared. You're looking forward to this. And the folks up here have been practicing all week so we can all come into the presence of God together. And it is, it is a corporate act of joy that we come away with the Lord that we don't come apart. And our hearts are knitted. And the entire service, we have that same purpose. And we prepared at sundown the day before to make this day special. So you leave home in plenty of time to get to church early. You fellowship with others. Avoid feeling rushed. You, you, you've been in the car. You all know it. The kids and everybody. And and the, and the I'll tell you, the first time that you prepare in advance and you want to make Sunday special and you let the sun go down and you start setting out the clothes and everything, I, I guarantee you Satan will work overtime to make it a living hell. Persevere, push through. You'll align everybody. They'll get it. What? what? I want to go. No, I'm not. I want to stay out late. It's Saturday. No, you're going to be home by 10. Saturday night? I'm not coming home by 10. No, you are coming home by 10. The door's going to be locked. I won't sleep at my friend's house. Okay, don't come home. What? We're going to go to church. We're going to rest. we got a big day tomorrow. We're meeting with the Lord and his people. It's special, right? Make a point of it. Talk about the service on the way home. What 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 did you learn today? Let it let it preserve the message in your heart. Don't just be a hearer and it goes in one ear and out the other, or look in a mirror and walk away and forget what you look like. Let the word penetrate your heart. Talk about it as a family. Ask each family member what they learned. C- could you imagine what that would do for the different levels and the different generations to be able to communicate in that capacity? Um Six minutes. I'll just do a couple real quick. Um, Simplify your food preparation. Take a break from schoolwork. Give your housework a day of rest. Play Christian music. It really helps. Just put a CD in. It's all, hey, no, 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 no. I love you, Lord. Oh, this is terrible. And then kids start singing it. Wear nice clothes. They don't have to be a suit and tie, but this is our Sunday clothes. We're going to we're, we're This is a celebration. You, you do the sniff test in the pile of dirt. Oh, that'll work. Let's go. Your hair's all thrash. You've been working on that dew all night. Yeah, that's really great. Yeah, Hey, praise the Lord. How are you? I'm fine. Your breath smells like the north end of a southbound donkey. Well, I didn't brush, but uh, <laughs> I just shaved the fur off my teeth, but I'm good to go. You know what I'm saying? It's, I know this is a tough one, and I made a joke about it on the second service on Sunday. Really, it would—I I think it would be helpful. I, I, we're pushing our family. My son actually last night went around and grabbed everybody's phone and put it in a basket. I'm like, what are you doing, Daniel? He goes, "We're taking a break." I thought that's kind of cool because we're all sitting on the couch going, "Hey, i What? Wait, what, what, what? Hey, 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 hey! hey it's touching my biblical cord. Hey, give me that back!" <laughs> I know this is a stretch. Take a break from electronics. Just put the phones away for a Sunday. It's just us and the Lord. You guys are already like, oh gosh, I don't think about it. And I told you earlier, make that Sunday box. We, we did this when I was in, in college. We'd have some kids come over. We had a little Sunday box. There'd be a new toy in there that you could only play with on Sunday, and the kids look forward to it. And You just start creating the kids this excitement about the Sabbath, and they start getting thrilled about it. And they come, and they get to pick that toy and, you know, read scriptures, pray, visit neighbors, write cards, read a book. Whatever it is that regenerates you, do that. So that's the fourth commandment.